0: This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE Intelli News. Subscribe at bne.eu.
1: Hello and welcome to Window on the East with me Ben Harris, the editor of BNE Intelli News. So I'm here with Mark Galliotti and we had today the state of the nation speech from Putin where it was a sort of dual header, a double feature, where he started off talking about um, domestic policy, laying out in broad brushstrokes what he intends to do in the next six years, as he's an almost certain shoe in to win the elections on March 18th. But then he surprised by coming out and showcasing in a sort of Apple Inc. product launch style presentation uh, a whole new generation of. Missiles, which he claims negates the Americans' defensive capability, and I took it as an extremely aggressive, like no more Mr. Nice Guy. Uh, Mark, in st- standing back for for a moment, I mean, everyone's been saying that Russia's been very aggressive. I mean, after all, it did annex um, Crimea in 2014. Do you take this as an aberration, or, or do you do th- this is the natural evolution of the direction that Putin's been taking Russia in?
0: Well. I think it's an evolution in, in two different ways. One is in terms of the, sort of the military technical, um, and we can obviously go into some, some, some of the detail. And To be honest, the extent to which this is a real list and the extent to which it's simply aspirational. But it also, I think, is an extension of the overall perspective on Russia's place in the world. I mean, for me, the absolute sort of crucial line in, in the whole speech was when he says that, that nobody listened to us, well, listen to us now. Um, and do very much get the sense that this, this is not just simply about nuclear forces. It is that sense that nuclear force is one of the things that actually he can use to project that Russia is a great power.
1: But could you um, not say, I mean, th- this was the thing, I mean, under Yeltsin... Um, Russia had collapsed and was desperate for help. Uh, I remember how currency reserves in 1998 fell to a mere eight billion dollars, and of course they're over 500 now, or 450 rather. Um, and it was helpless. Uh, and his point has been that we're not helpless, but nobody's paying any attention to our interests. And he's been obviously very frustrated with that. But you know, isn't isn't actually this a, a fair point that? that Russia's interests do need to be respected to some extent. And with these weapons, he's making the point, now you have to pay attention.
0: Well, on um, the question of being sort of paid attention to, I mean, look, there were many blunders made in terms of dealing with Russia in the 1990s. That's granted. That's also past history, which, yes, of course, it has an impact on contemporary perspectives, but it's, it's, old, it's old stuff. Russia has the right to have its interests recognized to the same extent as any other country. The question is, though, at what point does actually having a nuclear arsenal do that? I mean, this is the point. Power in the modern world has changed dramatically. It's about technological advance. It's about money. It's about soft power. It's about all kinds of other things, more than just the capacity to blow up the world with greater celerity. But I think what this really demonstrates is the extent to which actually Putin is still mired in, for me, a 19th century's notion of what makes a great power, that you basically can enforce your will on your on the world, and that your sovereignty is something that basically is is superior to others. So I mean, I, I think. Yes, Putin starts by being informed by a sense that Russia was, was neglected and abused and is being denied its sort of rightful place in the world. But I think he, he go, he, he's going beyond that into a sense that actually he believes the only way that Russia can achieve that is through this kind of phallic substitute nuclear capacity which is really a, a total misreading of of how the world really works these days.
1: But at the same time, I mean, you, you look at the Americans, um, they spend as much as the next 26 allies together on their military. So they're, they're doing the same thing. I mean, isn't he looking at that? And if you remember back to the Cuban Missile Crisis, I think Khrushchev took the lesson out of that that you have to have a a navy, which the Soviet Union didn't have, and then very rapidly got one afterwards. To to what extent? I mean, are we still playing, to some extent, this 19th-century game? You know, you need guns and lots of them to be taken seriously.
0: Well, I don't actually think that this really matters. I mean, look, first of all, yeah, America spends vastly more. America can essentially afford to do so. I mean, again, if we bring this back to the speech, he spends the first 70 minutes or so talking about all these amazing things he wants to do, which, let's face it, Russians have heard before. GDP up by 50 percent by 2025, halving poverty and so forth. And then at the same time, he then spends the, the last 45 minutes in, in this um, little sort of fantasy show of, of, of nuclear capabilities. Point one is Russia can't afford them points to russia actually has not demonstrated the capacity to be able to produce this kind of high tech stuff i mean they still it's it's still questionable whether their submarine launched bulava system which has been basically in testing for ages whether it's really usable so i think all these ideas of ground based lasers and nuclear cruise missiles that can fly around the world and such like um, ironically what he's doing is he's buying into this this myth that, that somehow Sinking money into leading edge apocalyptic technologies buys you power. America's power is not—I will say not because of its military. Let's just say it's not just because of its military. Um, its military is part of it, absolutely. But actually, America's power is, is, is far, far more broadly based. This is not going to get anyone thinking. Okay, maybe the Russians have a point about Ukraine. It might make people think, okay, the Russians are are dangerous lunatics, but let's be perfectly honest, their existing nuclear arsenal is perfectly sufficient to blow up the world and also to overwhelm any kind of American ballistic missile defense that, that this, Putin has as definitely in his bonnet about. He does not need all these technologies in order just simply to retain Russia's place as a... Nuclear, not just a nuclear power, but a nuclear power that can convincingly do itself even against the United States on strategic terms. This is clearly something more.
1: To what extent, um, is he playing to the gallery? Because, of course, you know, the elections are coming up um, in just whatever it is, three weeks, two weeks. And, um, you know, we've got all these whizzy gizmos that we can actually outfox the dastardly Americans with our nuclear-powered flying uh, bombs. Of course, this is going to go down very well. It's it's an extension of the whole, you know, fortress mentality. Um, Do do you think that plays a large role in his thinking as well? Yeah, I think we have to say, with whom does it go down well? I mean,
0: I'm not convinced that your average Russian is really sitting there thinking, my life is going to be so much better once we are able to deploy a submarine-launched nuclear drone. Um, It is really, I think, does a couple of things. First of all, this is obviously also going to go down really well with the nationalists. And ironically enough, that's actually one of the areas in which he has lately taken a hit, particularly over the uh, February case of the pseudo-mercenary unit Wagner in Syria, getting hammered by the Americans. Um, And it's actually been, ironically enough, the nationalist wing, who have been most critical of the fact that basically Russia did nothing to defend or avenge the, the Russian mercenaries who are fighting there. So, I mean, this this shores up his flank. But I think, above all, I think the the real political message behind the the graphics of missiles sort of zooming suspiciously off to the other side of the globe is that it's part of his narrative to the Russian people. Not just we are militarily strong. But that we need to be militarily strong. I mean again, he's very much been playing the sense that Russia is assailed by the outside world, uh, a civilizational, informational, economic and political struggle. Gibrivona. Mean, As far as I'm concerned, hybrid war is something that was made in the West and is being deployed against Russia. And so I think in, in his own way, this is actually talking to that. This is trying to kind of build up this sense that it's a dangerous world. We have to buy all these new shiny kit. And because we're very smart and we're Russians, we can produce all this shiny kit. But the bottom line is it is because the world is a dangerous place. And therefore the subtext is, this is not the time for experimentation. This is not the time to have anything other than a seasoned and tough-minded leader. Oh gosh, just like President Putin. Mm -hmm. Because after all, this was both the State of the Federation address, but it was also, in effect, standing in
1: as his election manifesto. And debates, um, him not going up against any of the candidates. Um, What do you think the reaction is going to be?
0: Well let me disaggregate I might say two different constituencies, the sort of the the sober and sensible ish strategic planners and then the political actors. I mean from from the point of view of the strategic types, um, you know, I I I think there there will be an element of scepticism about many of the promises. But on the other hand, I mean, it is clear that this is a point where actually, again, I think everyone ends up getting overexcited. We very recently saw the Americans come out with their own sort of nuclear strategy document. And particularly, they seem to have bought into this notion of the Russians having a so-called escalate to de-escalate strategy. In other words, that they might get involved in a conventional war and then just drop a little nuclid a mere little sort of Hiroshima-scale tactical weapon precisely to basically end the war on their own terms. There's really no evidence that the Russians actually have such a, a doctrinal notion. But nonetheless, the very fact that people in, in Washington and elsewhere are talking seriously about it, I think says something about the, the, the scale of this sort of current um, confrontational rhetoric. But politically, of course, um, you know, this is all about perceptions and how you sell policy. And just as Putin is trying to sell a certain policy to, to his own constituency, this is absolutely gonna play into the hands of those people who precisely, they want to say that Putin has gone rogue, Putin has become essentially a Bond villain. Um, and, and this idea that, that, that he will now deploy sort of all these hypersonic missiles and laser beams and such like, I mean, it really does does sound as if we were wandering into the realms of of, of, of that kind of fantasy. And And yeah, for people who want to currently escalate the confrontation. This does absolutely nothing to to to, to de-escalate. But the, the problem is that unfortunately we have people on both sides, both in Moscow and in Washington, and also in the European capitals, who have both ideological and practical reasons to to keep the whole you know, keep the drums of of, of near war um, beating away. Um, and no one's really able to actually find some way of damping down. That Isn't it out of business.
1: control now? I mean hasn't it got a life of its own? I'm sitting here in Berlin and I know that the German business lobby are, are lobbying as hard as they can um, the government to try and de-escalate because they have serious investments and are making good money in Russia and they want to do more of that but nobody's really listening to the, the business lobby and Merkel has said very clearly this is questions of principles and uh, and she's right, you know, the, the Crimea situation um, should be solved and, and, a, and a solution found. But it, it does seem to have taken on a life of its own. It just sort of gets worse and worse.
0: To an extent. I mean, on the one hand, I would say I, I probably would not ever want to be looking to a business community for my moral compass. Um, at the same time, I mean, actually, we, we should realize that there is, a, there is a, at the moment at least still a clear line between... The rhetoric and the reality, and again, I would go back to that case in in Syria, where you actually had you know Russian pseudo mercenaries, and I say pseudo mercenaries because you know it's a force that was basically created by the Russian state and paid by the Russian state, that um, when was involved in this attack on an oil field, which also put US soldiers in in danger, and the United States responded with with gleeful um, abandon, um, and and really shattered the Wagner force there. And the interesting thing is, is that the Russians, because they had used these sort of deniable mercenaries, were able to say, wow, it was a stupid idea. It was nothing to do with us. And essentially, everyone could step back from that, even though in reality, if if, if either side had wanted, they could have used that as a pretext for escalation. The fact of the matter that neither did. So, I mean, I think, again, we. We need to be sort of aware that there is this gap between the rhetoric and the reality. The problem is, of course, that sometimes that gap gets jumped. We don't know at what point the rhetoric is actually going to change, change the reality. Um, and, and at the moment, look, let me be honest, Putin is giving us in the West, those of us who'd like to see a step away from this current confrontational sort of situation. He's not giving us anything we can work with. Um, I mean, here here we have um, not just presentation of, you know, the next generation of of nuclear missiles being announced, which is part of, you know, if you're going to maintain a nuclear deterrent, you have to update them. That's that's just the way it is. Um, But but more more broadly, um, you know, he, he, he himself is also contributing to this notion that there is a civilizational clash at work. Um, the problem is, of course, that um, we live in this kind of interconnected world. We are not at war. I, mean, when I say problem, obviously, that's a good thing. But the problem is that we, we, we because we are all interconnected, we have this a relationship in which we are half at war and half trying to have business contacts and investment and student exchanges and, and all, all, all the rest of the things. We are caught in between.
1: Do you think the only way out then is we're just going to have to tough out another six years and hope he steps down and that you know things will only get better after in the in the post Putin period?
0: I mean, I am unfashionably optimistic about Russia in in the, the post Putin era. I don't think we're going to get some kind of fascistic warlord or um, civil war or any or Kadyrov or any of the other kind of more lurid fantasies that, that sometimes people have, have been playing. And I also think that although, essentially, I do believe that Putin has exhausted his capacities to evolve. um, Because, you know, the Putin we see now is is a very different one from the one who came into office in 1999-2000. And likewise, at the moment, America is not in a position to provide any kind of useful leadership on almost any issue. Um, so I think, yeah, I think really, for, for the, so long as Putin is in the Kremlin, which may not be six tiers, I think if he can find a successor and some kind of constitutional arrangement that allows him security and political traction, um, he, he might well stand down. I don't get the sense that he's really enjoying himself anymore. Um, but yeah, for, for the moment, we, we, we just have to have to tough it out. And that means essentially trying to hold the line against people on, on both sides of the divide who, for factional, personal or other reasons, are trying to exacerbate the situation and take fullest advantage of, of whatever little opportunities for improving relations they can. You know, I, I think we, we could see, shall I say, a slight cooling of the current situation. Mm. I don't think we can see a dramatic change for the better.
1: Okay. But on that somewhat somber but not entirely hopeless note, um we've run out of time so um, Mark, thank you very much for taking the time to talk.